The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stocks kicking off a new week, a new month, and a new quarter of trading today. After their best weekly run since November, this morning, futures are mixed. And shocking all out of the Middle East, rocky energy markets this morning after a surprise output cut by one of the largest oil exporters in the world. We have those details coming up. And it may have been a Swiss shining night, but now regulators are taking a much closer look at UBS and its 11th hour deal and buying Credit Suisse. Plus, nothing prescripted about this one as Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Entertainment apparently now has a buyer. And then later, a blowout quarter by Elon Musk after those what some are calling controversial price cuts on his top-selling model. We check the stocks and what's next for Tesla ahead. It is Monday, April 3rd, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm Frank Holland. Let's kick off your first day of the second quarter uh, with a look at U.S. stock futures right now. As we said, a bit of a mixed picture. Right now, the Dow, the best performer, looks like it would open up about 100 points higher at this very early point in the morning. The S&P down fractionally. The Nasdaq down the most, down more than a half a percent, something that we'll continue to watch this morning. So all of this after a solid end to March, with the Dow and the S&P coming off their best weekly gains since back in November. Higher, too, for the Nasdaq with a more than 3% gain last week. But for all that talk about rate hikes and value being in vogue, it was quite a stretch for the index with a more than 16% gain and its best quarter since the second quarter of 2020 when it surged more than 13%. You see the big upswing here in March. Again, something to watch as we go into the second quarter. Now, some of the biggest gainers for the Nasdaq to start the year, we're talking chipmaker NVIDIA with a more than 90% rally, Meta up more than 70%, and Tesla up more than uh, up nearly 70%. You see some of the gainers right here. We're also checking the bond market, looking at yields. We begin with the 10-year benchmark at 3.53. We're also seeing the two-year note still above 4% when it comes to the yield. All right, big morning for energy as well. With oil surging this morning, up about 5% across the board, we're seeing WTI as the U.S. benchmark at almost 80 bucks a barrel, up almost 5.5%, up now 5.5%. Brent crude, the international benchmark at $84 and basically a quarter, also up more than 5%. Natural gas, however, falling sharply, down more than 6%, almost 7% this morning. This follows a huge output cut from one of the OPEC's most influential members. Much more on that story in just a minute. We're also watching crypto, of course. We're seeing Bitcoin back above that 28,000 mark, up 1% this morning. Ether also up about a percent and a half. Continue to watch the crypto complex. Cardano, the best performer this morning, up 6% in the very early trade. Remember, though, crypto does trade around the clock. All right, let's get to this morning's top story. And oil surging this morning after OPEC Plus unexpectedly announced new output cuts to help tighten the global energy market. One that could give an inflationary jolt to economies already struggling to keep prices under control. Our Hadley Gamble joins us now from Abu Dhabi with much more on this story. Hadley, good morning. 
Good morning to you, Frank. Well, essentially what we're seeing here is OPEC plus countries making a decision to slash output by 1.16 million barrels per day. And just to give you a sense of what that really means, we're talking about just slightly less than 4% of global demand. Now, this is a decision, frankly, that uh, can't come as a too big as of a surprise to those of us who are watching the oil market, specifically those of us who are based right out here in the Middle East. Of course, Saudi Arabia is going to be leading these cuts with some 500,000 barrels per day, taking it off the market. That's twice as much as the nearest OPEC member to cut as well, and that would be Iraq. We're talking about Russia, the UAE, uh, Iraq, Algeria, among others that are going to be participating in, the, the, participating in this, including Oman, as you can see there in your graphic. But I think what's really interesting to note is what this really means for prices, because at the end of the day, there is a question about whether this is going to reverse the tide, if you will, of those inflationary pressures and also whether or not we're going to see um, Saudi Arabia moving forward in any type of um, um, tit for tat, if you will, once again with the U.S. administration, because this is essentially the Saudis deciding to stop and put a floor under prices. You have to understand that this has been the worst first quarter performance for oil since they put in bans in place back in 2020 during the height of COVID. Um, so certainly the Saudis and other members of OPEC have been watching the price floor very, very closely. I know for a fact that over the last several weeks, His Royal Highness Prince Abdulaziz, um, the de facto leader of OPEC, the Saudi energy minister, has been watching the fragility of markets. He's been concerned about um, the global growth picture, supply and demand. And these are the guys who say that they are the guardians, frankly, of uh, the global energy markets. So it's been a great concern to them over the last couple of weeks to watch what's been happening in the market. So, Allie, we're looking at the global energy market right now, looking at Brent crude up uh, about five and a half percent right now. So any sense of the reaction from the White House? You just mentioned the Biden administration. Absolutely. So we just saw the uh, comments coming from the administration. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're talking about the U.S. Uh, National Security Council saying this was essentially an inadvisable move. And you've got to think about this from the U.S. perspective, um, particularly what we've seen over the last several months. Again and again, you'll remember um, when the Biden team decided to tap the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, they said that they would refill it when prices were around $67 to $72 per barrel. And then they didn't do it, raising a lot of questions about energy security and what's going to happen next. Plus, in past years, we've seen shale growth that just really hasn't um, met that same kind of trajectory that we've seen in the past. And that's a direct result, of course, of borrowing costs. So you've got less shale growth than you've had in the past in terms of that production. And then you've also got the worry about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as well. So it's no surprise that the U.S. would look at this rather askance. It's just whether or not they're going to have a real conversation uh, with OPEC Plus on this one, because frankly, there's just not that much for them that they can do. All right, Hadley Gamble, live in Abu Dhabi. Thank you very much. All right, a little later, we'll talk more with a senior energy trader about possible motivations by Saudi Arabia and the impact on investors. Time now, though, for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Frank, good morning to you all. Tesla is producing a record number of cars in the first quarter of 2023 following multiple and sometimes steep price cuts by CEO Elon Musk to kick off the year. Now, over the past three months, Tesla says it rolled out a record 441,000 cars and delivered just under 423,000 vehicles. That's a 4% from the previous quarter. And watching Tesla shares this morning, down about 2% in the pre-market. Now, sources telling CNBC Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Entertainment is in advanced talks to be sold to UFC parent Endeavor Group with a deal set to be announced as soon as today. Shares have been rocketing higher in anticipation of any deal for WWE. 
Today's reported tie-up would create a new publicly traded company with Endeavor slated to own, according to sources, 51% of the new venture. And McDonald's is temporarily closing its U.S. offices this week as it prepares to hand out possible pink slips to some of its corporate employees. Now, according to The Wall Street Journal, an internal email was sent out last week asking staff to work from home through this Wednesday so it can deliver the staffing decisions virtually. Now, it's unclear how many people the company is planning to lay off, Frank. All right, so our Savannah now, thank you for those headlines. We'll yeah. see you later on the show. All right, to another developing story this morning and on the heels of its sweetheart deal to buy Credit Suisse, top regulators in Switzerland are now opening an investigation into UBS. Arabile Goumide is live in London with those details. Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So certainly a story that has continued to uh, hit the market quite a lot, right? We've certainly saw that sweeping deal brought in by UBS to try and save Credit Suisse, which at the time was uh, valued around 3.15 billion US dollars or so. Worries about its finances. I mean, previous week it was worth around 8 billion uh, or so. So clearly telling you that there was a lot of issues happening in its finances. This is just a general look at what the market sort of looks like then uh, today. And the SMI will be of keen interest then uh, from that mark because you will take a look at the reasons why that is pretty much flat is because of the likes of UBS uh, and of course a Credit Suisse. This is what uh, uh, Credit Suisse then uh, pretty much looks like then today. It's around half a percent weaker in this trading picture. As you said, prosecutors looking into the business and that takeover deal. It must be noted, however, that there isn't a clear, succinct matter that they're looking for. They're just saying that there could be a few things that were wrong. In fact, the statement itself uh, actually reads, uh, numerous aspects of events around Credit Suisse that need to be investigated to identify any possible criminal offences. Now, that becomes a worry, of course, for the business overall, and it may have even heightened the risk around Swiss banks. And that is the keen worry that a lot of the regulators are perhaps looking out for, particularly out in Switzerland then. So the, this matter will certainly not end right now, and we thought that the banking matter was sorted, but clearly not yet. So this is one we'll continue to follow. Frank. Yeah, certainly still following it. Uh, UBS down 3% in the pre-market here in the U.S., also down overseas. Arabile Goumide, live in London. Thank you again for that report. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, our own Mike Santoli lays out the bull case for another run to some recent highs after a blowout Q1. But will our next guest agree with that outlook? Plus, much more on the surprise OPEC output cut and what one energy expert is calling a Saudi power play. And then later, the New York Times says no thank you to Elon Musk and Twitter Blue. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. 
Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We are watching futures this morning after a solid first quarter of the start of the year. You can see this morning, a bit of a mixed picture. But more gains could be on tap for Q2. Senior CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli on what's ahead. Stocks finished the first quarter unexpectedly strong and perhaps were strong because few investors expected it. A big driver of the strong run through quarter end was widespread fear turning to relief as bank instability has not spread or seemed to hurt consumer confidence, at least not yet. Along with newfound momentum in the biggest tech stocks, this has again taken the broad S&P 500 up toward the upper end of its 10-month trading range. It's near where rallies have stalled and reversed lower four prior times since last spring. So can the bulls break above this familiar boundary this time? The chances appear somewhat better than in the prior failed attempts based on a couple of measures. Working in favor of the market are strong seasonal patterns, April being one of the strongest months throughout history. And when stocks have been up in the first quarter after they've been down the prior year, that's the situation right now, the market has never been down over the following three quarters. Then there's the fact that whatever the Federal Reserve's final destination on interest rates, it is likely moving more gingerly and in tiny steps from here on out. This upbeat setup will surely be tested soon, though, given that bulls need inflation to keep falling, the economy to keep growing, earnings forecasts to firm up, and the big Nasdaq stocks probably to cool off without casting a chill over the rest of the market. Frank. All right, that was our Mike Santoli. Let's see if our next guest agrees. Adam Coons is Winthrop Capital Management's Chief Portfolio Manager. Adam, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So I'm pretty sure you just heard Mark Santoli there just a minute ago. He says April is generally a strong month for the markets. And then historically, if we see the major indices up in Q1 following a down year, the same setup we have right now, we again historically see quarters two to four in the green. In this case, with so much disruption from banks, rate hikes, et cetera, do you see history repeating itself? You know, I don't. I, and obviously, that's a technical uh, you know, part of the market. When we look at the fundamentals, there's just a lot of uh, negativity here in, in, in the soup of this market. So uh, this banking crisis is, is something we really need to focus on. Uh, I know it seems stabilized right now, and, and our hope is that it does remain stabilized. Um, but, but we see this as just uh, kind of the, the first uh, leg of kind of the dislocation in the markets. Uh, the problems that we're seeing in, in the banking sector aren't just going to go away. And I think there's not enough focus on uh, the, the lending that's going on to banks, you know, where they're, they're able to borrow uh, at, at par uh, against the securities within their portfolio. It, the rate on that is 5%. And so if you look at the securities they're lending against or borrowing against, I mean, uh, the rates on those are much lower. So this effectively is going to lead towards more zombie banks as the term is picking up steam here, really what we're talking about are banks that just profitability will be uh, muted uh, for the foreseeable future. Okay. So th- th- that's the first uh, you know, step we see towards this, okay. this economy starting. Yeah. So, Adam, I want to so, have a word that you just hit on, stabilization. That was the reason why OPEC decided to do cuts. We're seeing the oil markets up more than 5% this morning. We're also just 30 days away from the next Fed rate decision. How do these two things, uh, the, the oil output cut and the impact on prices, does it change your thesis, your portfolio management, your balancing at all? It does add to the risk of, of what the Fed's going to do. Uh, we're heavily uh, pushing our portfolios into fixed 
fixed income. Uh, we're using a, a higher grade tilt within our, our portfolio. So, you know, we're looking at treasuries, agencies, and then corporates that are, you know, double A, triple A rated uh, within our portfolios. And we're extending duration. And we're doing that because we think the Fed's uh, really, their back is against the wall. And so we don't think that they will be able to continue to push rates higher. Um, that much this year. We, we do think there probably will be another quarter uh, basis point hike. Uh, but after that, we don't see really any way that the Fed uh, can continue to in increase interest rates. If anything, they're at a minimum going to be able to, to pause, but we think they might have to uh, uh, cut interest rates by the end of the year. Okay. I know you're also watching the commercial real estate sector. Any concerns about contagion from what we're seeing in the commercial real estate sector hitting other areas of the market outside of real estate? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the problem that we have in the, in the commercial real estate market really is a liquidity issue. Uh, when we've got uh, the you know the the rates on commercial real estate uh, when you're when you're borrowing in that sector is based off of LIBOR or SOFR. So uh, unlike your traditional residential uh, mortgage, the, these rates are actually you know going up as as SOFR and LIBOR have gone you know towards five percent or above. So that's really stressing that part of the market. And if we continue to see stress in that part of the market, I think that we should see, we will start to see liquidity issues kind of percolate up through other parts, particularly private equity. Okay. Uh, that's another part of the market where uh, the mark to market risk uh, that we saw within some of these banks is prevalent there and probably even more so. So if liquidity becomes even more crunched and those funds are forced to sell securities and realize those losses, I think that's where you'll start to see contagion throughout the rest of the market. All right. Certainly something to watch. Adam Coons of Winthrop Capital Management, thank you for being here. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, tracking the global hotspots and why Middle East geopolitical tensions may be just the least of Wall Street's worries heading into a new trading week. Stay with us. More WEX coming up. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As we kick off a new month and a new quarter, we're also pulling back the curtain on a new segment here on Worldwide Exchange. We're calling it Global Hotspots, looking at the most important geopolitical events happening right now and what impact they could have on the markets and on your money. This morning, it's all about Taiwan. Its president is set to wrap up her visit to the U.S. with a meeting with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and other top lawmakers. This is a move Chinese authorities are blasting as provocative and one that, quote, harms China's sovereignty and territorial integrity, according to one Chinese official. Joining me now, Longview Global Senior Policy Analyst, Dewardrick McNeil, also a CNBC contributor. Dewardrick, great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. All right, so let's talk about this visit uh, that the Taiwan president is having with the House Speaker and other lawmakers. This is an in-transit visit. She's actually on her way back from South America, back to Taiwan. So give us a sense, how provocative is this? And does this signal any meaningful change to U.S. policy? Uh, well, Frank, look, I think this is significant and that this does represent the highest level engagement by a president of Taiwan on one of these transit visits. But, Frank, significant should not mean provocative. Uh, this is very different than what we saw in August with Speaker Pelosi, tra uh, Speaker Pelosi traveling to 
Taiwan. The Biden administration has signaled beforehand this does not mean a change in U.S. policy. The one China policy is still in effect. And so this should be treated very differently by Beijing. But the verdict is out in terms of how they will respond. The rhetoric has been hot. But I would suggest, uh, Frank, that it would be uh, diplomatically unwise to respond in a wild-eyed and bellicose way uh, to this visit. It will undermine a lot of what China has been trying to do uh, diplomatically, woo back businesses, try and get closer to Europe. And an action uh, that is considered to be uh, unrestrained can really damage uh, what Beijing has tried to do and play into the hands of many in Washington who say that China is aggressive and bullying throughout the region. All right, so we have to wait for China's response, but what response are we seeing from the Biden administration? And also, what could this visit and the tensions it could create mean for U.S. business interest and U.S. investments in China? Well, let's start with the business piece uh, first, Frank. Look, I do not believe uh, that this will precipitate any sort of attack or invasion on Taiwan. We're likely to see some uh, exercises. And look, if you're a business with exposure to Taiwan, you know, my advice is to have a plan. Consider a different uh, range of contingencies and don't be lulled to sleep because there won't be an invasion. Uh, this is still a very, very risky uh, area of the world to be invested in. So we will start uh, with that for business. For the Biden administration, look, they've been very clear that uh, Congress is a separate branch of government. They can't intervene in what uh, Speaker McCarthy is going to do. But U.S. policy is not and will not change. And I think that's the important point uh, here, Frank. All right, Duarte McNeil from Longview Global. We appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Frank. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the U.S. Virgin Islands building its case against J.P. Morgan. And now it looks like it wants info from some of the bank's very high-profile clientele. And just days after Howard Schultz's testimony on Capitol Hill, new revelations about Starbucks and its union troubles. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, a.k.a. WEX, will be right back. Stay with us. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Oil prices surging on the back of a surprise output cut by OPEC, with a growing number of analysts saying crude could climb back to above 100 bucks a barrel. Also, stocks set to kick off the second quarter after NASDAQ notches a nearly 17% jump in Q1 as tech stocks regain some of their shine. And Tesla reporting record delivery figures as price, price cuts by the EV maker fuel demand. Our Phil LeBeau is standing by to break down the numbers on this Monday, April 3rd on Worldwide Exchange, right here on CNBC. Welcome back. Hope your Monday morning is getting off to a great start. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Right now, we're seeing a bit of a mixed picture. We're seeing the S&P down fractionally, NASDAQ down the most, down more than a half a percent. It's the Dow Jones leading right now. Uh, if the markets were to open up, they'd open up about 100 points higher. You're seeing a 97-point ba- bounce by the Dow. Right now, the Chevron is about 40 points of this bounce being pushed higher by that cut by OPEC and the uh, rise in oil prices. So all three major indices wrapping up March in the green. Their second positive month in the last three with gains around uh, 2 to nearly 7%. The Dow's gain in March helping it just eke out a positive finish for the first quarter. Much better for the S&P, gaining 7%, as you can see right here. The big winner here, the NASDAQ, up almost 17%. Big move to the upside in March. 
as you can see on this chart. Let's also get a check on the bond market. We're looking at the yields on the benchmark 10-year note at 3.53. We're still seeing the yield in the two-year above 4%, something we continue to watch with that inverted yield curve. Again, a lot of people see that as a possible recession indicator. All right, now to this morning's top story. As we mentioned, oil prices are spiking after Saudi Arabia leads a surprise production cut with several OPEC Plus members that will remove more than 1 million barrels per day from the market starting in May and lasting through the end of this year. Now, that's on top of the cut of 2 million barrels per day the group agreed to back in October. Saudi Arabia will cut the most, 500,000 barrels per day, followed by Iraq and the UAE and Kuwait. The Saudis say this is, quote, a precautionary measure aimed at supporting the stability of the market. In addition, Russia and OPEC Plus member will extend a March production cut to 500,000 barrels per day throughout the end of the year. Let's get much more insight on this now with Rebecca Babin, senior energy trader at CIBC uh, Private Wealth. Rebecca, great to have you here. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for having me. All right, so we just talked about this. We've seen other production cuts from OPEC and OPEC Plus most recently in October. Right now, we're seeing gas price, excuse me, oil prices up 5% for both WTI and Brent. What's the big difference this time around? So the big difference with these cuts is these are real cuts. In the past, OPEC Plus has cut quotas, even for countries that were already underproducing their current quota. So they were actually kind of paper cuts. These are real cuts, cuts to producers who are producing at or above quotas already. So this is a real impact to the market, much more than we've seen in the past with previous cuts. I think the other factor here is that Saudi Arabia is taking such a large percentage with 500,000 barrels of that cut is also a very strong indication to the market that they are very serious about this and, and going to have a much larger impact on the market as we're seeing this morning due to those two factors combined. All right. So we are seeing a big impact on the market. You're saying they're very serious about this. Give us a sense. Why would OPEC want to cut right now, especially Saudi Arabia? So I think there's a couple factors here. I'm going to start with the first, which is OPEC plus, um, a.k.a. Saudi Arabia, loves to catch the market wrong-footed when they feel that financial participants, i.e. speculative traders or short sellers, have dominated the price action and removed the trading action to be based on fundamentals, to be based on financial market speculative trading. The Saudi um, oil minister has said in the past he wants to make the short sellers ouch like hell. So this is clearly something that is he's passionate about and he's acted on in the past. So I think when we saw this recent episode with crude oil selling off 17 percent in a little over a week, that really um, got under the skin of Saudi Arabia and OPEC plus, and they wanted to send a really direct, strong message that they are not going to let short sellers and spec traders dominate their market. All right. So this may lead to some people in the financial markets, you know, quote unquote, ouching like hell. What do you see this doing to China as part of its recovery? Obviously, it's one of the biggest oil importers in the world. Good question. So I think for China, they're getting a lot of cheap Russian crude right now. And they're also have some longer term contracts with China and they've kind of reestablished some more of those very recently. So I think this does in some ways impact their recovery. But based on where they're getting their crude right now from Russia at cheaper prices, it'll have less of an impact than it would have had in the past. Clearly, though, I think where you're heading with this question, I think is important is 
where their political calculus and their market calculus here, this all works as long as this doesn't put a dent in demand, right? So they've got to thread the needle here of, you know, stabilizing their market, being the dominant kind of central bank to crude oil, not letting speculators take over their market, but also not you know, pushing the Fed to make a different type of decision and or hurting their major um, market player, i.e. China, with higher prices. Right now, I think in this range and the fact that China gets a lot of crude from Russia, this isn't going to impede their recovery. They have to be careful. All right. So uh, they want stabilization. The OPEC plus members want right now. We're seeing Brennan about just about 84 bucks a barrel. What is stabilization in their minds? Is it $100 a barrel oil or is it something even higher? No, I don't think that $100 barrel oil is what they're looking for, because I think they're smart enough to realize that hurts their demand profile more than it helps them. So I think this kind of 85, 95 range in Brent is stabilization. I think that's where they're happy. I think if we see crude spike throughout the summer and we see gas prices spike, they will unwind these cuts that we've just seen much more quickly than they've been willing to unwind previous cuts. This was, I think, a message. This isn't necessarily something they're going to stick to if prices spike. I think they're being tactical with their movements and trying to get the market in their sweet spot, which I think is 85.95 Brent. All right. Certainly something to watch. Uh, Rebecca Babin, really appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. All right. Time now for a check on this morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is there with those. Silvana. Good morning. Hey, Frank. Good morning to you. Well, the New York Times says it will not pay up to regain its verified checkmark on Twitter. The newspaper losing the badge on the social platform over the weekend under Twitter's new subscription model. Now, under the new rules, organizations will have to pay $1,000 a month to get a gold checkmark verification on Twitter. Several other news organizations have said they, too, will not pay for verification. The U.S. Virgin Islands reportedly issuing subpoenas to Google founder Sergey Brin, former Disney executive Michael Ovitz, Hyatt Hotels executive chairman Thomas Pritzker, and real estate investor Mort Zuckerman as part of its lawsuit against J.P. Morgan and its relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. The subpoenas will seek communications and documents related to the bank and the convicted sex offender. And Starbucks firing the employee responsible for leading unionization efforts at the coffee giant. Alexis Rizzo telling CNBC her store managers informed her she was being let go Friday. Rizzo says they told her it was because she had been late on four occasions, two of which were she had been late one minute. Starbucks tells CNBC Rizzo had missed more than four hours of work over the course of those instances and that she had been repeatedly issued write-ups for being late, Frank. All right, Savannah, certainly a store we'll be watching Absolutely. today. Absolutely. Savannah now, thank you for those headlines. You got it. All right, now to one of your big money movers in our top stock story of the morning, Tesla. The EV maker posting record deliveries for the first quarter with price cuts helping to fuel demand. Our Phil LeBeau joins us now with much more on this story. Good morning, Phil. And the numbers are generally speaking, in line with expectations, maybe a little bit below what people were expecting. The fact set consensus was 432,000 vehicles being delivered. The number came in at just over 422,000. By the way, there are some people who are on Twitter and other platforms saying, wait, the consensus was 420,000. The, the, the numbers were all over the place, but fact set had it at 432. Production coming in at 440,000 vehicles. The price cuts in Q1, no doubt, 
had an impact here. It helped in China, also helped here in the United States. And you saw that with Tesla in terms of the wait times that were coming down, but then inched back up after the company cut their prices in the first quarter. The analyst focus, excuse me, focus for the first quarter, gross auto margins. That is what people are focused on, not on deliveries, because this is not a huge change compared to what the expectation was. So as you take a look at shares of Tesla, remember that the Q1 financials, Frank, come out on April 19th after the bell. So basically two weeks from now, that's when we'll find out about automotive gross margins. And again, that is the metric that will move this stock let's say, over the next several weeks. And typically, going into a financials report, we tend to see this stock rally just a little bit. Doesn't mean that we're going to see a big dramatic increase from where it is right now, but that's what we typically see. Down 2%. Why this reaction after a beat on those deliveries? Well, do you see it as a beat or do you see it as a miss, Frank? 420 is, quote-unquote, the bogey number, the whisper number that was out there. 432,000 is the fact-set consensus, which is what we go by, the Wall Street Journal. Others go by 432,000. But again, I wouldn't get too caught up in the actual number. I would focus more on the fact that what you saw was the impact of the price cuts and what are we going to see with gross margins. All right, so... What other metric are you and analysts really looking at right now? You mentioned gross margin, you just said, or any other numbers that we should really pay attention to if we're watching this stock and the results that you mentioned coming up later this month? Whether or not there is a change in guidance, I don't think that we're going to see that. We typically only see that at the start of the year. Uh, and we saw that in January when they said, look, we expect to deliver at least 1.7 million vehicles this year. Elon Musk then said during the conference call, could be as much as 1.8 million vehicles. And by the way, the 422,000, extrapolate that over the year, that's about 25,000 or 25% of their estimate for full year deliveries. And we do expect production and deliveries to ramp up in subsequent quarters. All right, our Phil LeBeau, great reporting as always. Great to see you. All right, a news alert for you now you on a possible deal. The Wall Street Journal reporting extra space storage will combine with life storage and a $12.7 billion deal. Life storage recently rejected a bid from industry giant public storage the reported deal would create the largest storage facility operator in the U.S. by number of locations. Right now, we're taking a look at shares of both companies, seeing life storage up more than 5% this morning. Extra space not moving yet in the pre-market. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Disney CEO Bob Iger set to take the stage to defend his turnaround strategy to the entertainment giant's investors. The major hurdles he may face in correcting the course for the Magic Kingdom. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Paris voting to ban rental e-scooters from its streets following years of heavy regulation, including limiting scooter speeds to six miles per hour and requiring riders to use dedicated parking areas or pay fines. The nearly unanimous vote making Paris the first city to completely reverse its policy on offering contracts to shared micro-mobility companies and is expected to hit names like Lime, Dot, and Tier. A new survey from Bankrate finding that 56% of the global workforce is likely to look for a new job in the next 12 months up from 51% last year. The survey noting that nearly a third of workers say they are likely to quit a job in the next 12 months, but that job security is a common concern amid fears of a potential recession. And goodbye, California. Hello, Texas. A new study by personal finance site Smart Asset ranking Austin as the top city for long-term growth in home value with prices soaring more than 350% over the past 25 years, making it one of only eight cities where value has increased by 300% or more in that time frame. 
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A market flash on Intel this morning shares up a quarter percent. Stacy Raskin at Bernstein upgrading the chipmaker to market perform from underperform. He's been a longtime bear on the stock. But in a note out yesterday, Raskin says while things still look bad, the medium term setup is finally improving as Intel's issues are known and the roadmap is not getting worse. That's a quote from that note. Intel shares are up more than 20 percent this year. Today, Disney is holding its first annual shareholders meeting since Bob Iger returned as CEO in November. The company kicking off a series of changes last week as part of its $5 billion restructuring plan, including plans to lay off up to 7,000 employees. Those layoffs already hitting positions in the metaverse, entertainment and news divisions, with the final round of termination announcements expected before the beginning of this summer. The stock is 9% higher since Iger returned. Let's talk more about today's meeting as well as Disney's path forward with Brett Lang, executive editor at Variety. Brent, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So a lot of issues on the table with this meeting today. We already know about that $5 billion restructuring plan. Um, other issues include Hulu, ESPN, and also the profitability of Disney+. Plus. What's the most pressing issue for Bob Iger today? I think Bob Iger needs to convey to his shareholders that he's very serious about getting Disney's uh, fiscal house in order and that he's figured out a way to uh, get Disney Plus, uh, the streaming service, to profitability uh, by 2024. Um, and he's going to have to do that uh, through a, a combination of layoffs and then cuts to uh, content costs. So I think that's going to be the message that Bob Iger tries to convey. All right, so that's going to be his key message. Um, another issue may be the Marvel franchise. Uh, Ant-Man got off to a, you know, a disappointing uh, start at the box office. And then there's also issues about the future of it, not only on the business side with that disappointing box office return, but a lot of questions from fans as well. This has really been um, a big boom for Disney overall. So what about the future of the Marvel franchises? Well, I think if you look at what Bob Iger's comments um, indicate, he is worried that um, Marvel has uh, foregone quality for quantity, that um, it stretches itself a little too thin between all these different sequels and then streaming shows. Um, and he'd like to sort of try to uh, regain that focus. I think at the same time, there's also a lot of off-screen drama that Bob Iger has to deal with um, involving um, Jonathan Majors, who was supposed to be a major part in the series going forward, um, but who has had uh, just been accused of, of assault. He, he denies those allegations. But if that situation gets worse, that's a real uh, PR headache. You know, certainly a PR headache. There's also some other investor issues. Um, what about the succession plan? Do you expect Bob Iger to give you any more details today about succession? Something that obviously was a big issue with all the activist investors in on this stock. I, I'm not sure he'll give a lot of information there, uh, but it is a huge problem because Bob Iger came back to write the ship. Um, this was not seen as a permanent solution. Um, this was seen as um, coming back and writing what he saw as the wrongs of the Bob Shapak era. Um, and one thing that Bob Iger has not done terribly well is uh, set Disney up for a succession. Even before Bob Shapak, uh, there were issues with people like Tom Staggs and Kevin Mayer, who were seen as possible successors. I think people right now think that potentially Dana Walden is in a very good position to succeed Iger. All right. So one other question has been pricing. We saw a price increase at the parks. Could we see one for Disney Plus as well? And how does that impact not only how people see the streaming service, but how people see Bob Iger's tenure as CEO? I think you will definitely see a price increase for Disney Plus. That is one thing that Bob Iger has really indicated he's very serious about. 
I think he's worried about um, the cost of the parks. He thinks that they, they have been overpriced, particularly given kind of the economic headwinds that we're facing. But Disney Plus, I think, is going to get more expensive. All right. Brett Lang from Variety, we really appreciate you being here. Thank you for the insight. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, longtime bear Mike Wilson out with another major market call Why he says tech's recent run-up has come just too far too fast. We ask Erin Gibbs if she agrees. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up, six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. We begin with Saudi Arabia leading a surprise oil production cut with several OPEC Plus members that will remove more than 1 million barrels per day from the market starting in May. That's on top of the cut of 2 million barrels per day it made back in October. Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Entertainment is in advanced talks to be sold to UFC parent Endeavor Group with a deal set to be announced as soon as today. Sources tell CNBC the tie-up is expected to create a new publicly traded company. McDonald's temporarily closing its U.S. offices this week as it prepares to lay off some of its corporate employees. The Wall Street Journal reporting McDonald's has asked its staff to work from home through this Wednesday so it could deliver those notifications virtually. Switzerland's federal prosecutor opening an investigation into UBS's takeover of Credit Suisse to examine leaks and potential breaches of criminal law by officials, regulators and bank executives. And former President Donald Trump said, (coughs) excuse me, Set the fly to Florida, from Florida to New York City today, ahead of its scheduled arraignment. <coughs> Excuse me again. Uh, at a Manhattan courthouse tomorrow, he's expected to plead not guilty to charges likely related to payments given to adult film actress Stormy Daniels back in 2016. The indictment remains under seal. <coughs> and another round of tornadoes expected from Texas to Illinois, following a series of strong storms in parts of the South, Midwest, and the East this weekend. They'll have several communities severely damaged. <coughs> Excuse the coughing. All right, back to the markets. And Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson saying the rally by U.S. tech stocks is overdone. And in a new note, Wilson says the 20% jump by tech to start the year is not sustainable and that the sector will return to new lows. He adds that tech will only bottom when the market does. Let's bring in Aaron Gibbs, Chief Investment Officer at Main Street Asset Management. Aaron, I got a cough, so I'm going to toss it over to you. Do you agree with this assessment by Mike? Yeah, I think a 20% uh, decrease is extreme. I understand the argument that there are certain overvaluations within the tech rally. It has been rather dramatic in the past week. Um, But um, one thing that we do see when there comes to credit tightening, um, banks looking at uh, reassessing their deposits and their balance sheets, Um, is that companies with good free cash flow uh, do very well. And those tend to be a lot of technology companies, in particular software services. Um, So I I think in this case, just, you know, saying it's all about valuations or, or, you know, recession or or slowing growth and, and that type of thing, is missing part of the whole story. And I think there are companies uh, that could still do very well and have seen their bottoms. All right. So certainly something to watch there, Aaron. Um, I also want to ask you about this production cut by OPEC plus increasing the price of gas. We're seeing Arbob, which represents that retail gasoline price up 3 percent this morning. Uh, WTI, the U.S. benchmark, up 5 percent. Does this increase in oil prices? Some analysts believe it could get up to 100 bucks a barrel. Does that change your thesis when it comes to portfolio management? 
Uh, well, I want to wanted to uh, I, I still want think that avoiding energy companies um, and is is a good thing. I think that they're just too volatile and we've seen most of the gains within them. Uh, and uh, certainly if the dollar if it the oil rather does go back up to 100, we're still seeing uh, we're not going to see skyrocketing uh, increases in profit. So um, uh, for the most part, I, I think uh, I don't think that's going to be such a big impact uh, on the, the inflation uh, sort of looking forward. Um, certainly, even by the time we get to the next Fed rate hikes, um, the oil could come come back down because we've essentially got a, almost a, a two month break here. So uh, uh, not right now. For, for now, I don't think it's going to be an actual event just yet. OK, so you're also watching the financial sector. What's your view when it comes to, to the U.S. financial sector and also the overseas, including the European financial sector? Right. So, so almost a, a two different stories. Um, now, certainly within the U.S. financial sector, that I think is an area. Companies are going to be forced uh, to uh reassess their deposits, reassess their balance sheets, perhaps uh, tighten up on credit. So I think uh, that's a vulnerability that we're going to be seeing within the U.S. Fortunately, within the European banks, they have, in general, across the board, they have much better ratios, deposits. Um, they're much less dependent on deposits and, and that type of shift. Um, and Deutsche Bank here, um, after its particular downturn, does look very attractive from a valuation basis and just from uh, their strengths of their balance sheet and their credit worthiness. All right, Aaron, I want to get to some of your picks. They're Apple, Adobe, and also Chipotle. Um, what's the key factor making, in your mind, these good picks for right now? So that's uh, all about uh, cash flow to invested capital. So good old cash flow um, combined with momentum. So these are stocks that... Uh, have been doing very well in the past two weeks, um, have really, uh, as, the, as the markets have turned around since mid-March, and we've seen that rebound, these are, these are some of those companies that are leadership, but also have exceptional strong fundamentals, and I really love that those strong free cash flow. There's nothing like companies that have great cash flow uh, when it comes to uh, facing some headwinds from either a slowing economy or rising interest rates. All right, Aaron Gibbs, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate the insight as always. All right, one more look. Well, I can't get the words out. One last look at the futures right now. A bit of a mixed picture right now. We're seeing the Dow is the best performer, moving higher on the back of Chevron. Uh, oil prices spiking a bit after those OPEC production cuts. Chevron adding about 40 points to the Dow's 100-point rise in the pre-market. WTI and Brent crude both up more than 5% this morning again on those OPEC production cuts. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.